Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. It's a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And this evening, UK time, I'm so grateful to welcome one of my modern day heroines, Nilifer Merchant, onto the podcast. For those of you that may not know her, um, she's an uh, ex-Apple executive and one of her, some of her accomplishments include shipping over 100 products, netting 18 billion in revenues. So this evening, thank you so much for joining me, Nilifer. Thanks for having me, Gary. For those that may not know you, and I am so obsessed with your book, Onlyness, if they don't know you, I'm going to have words. Um, would you mind just giving a little bit of a, a rundown as to who you are and what are you passionate about, Nilifer, just for my listeners today? Sure. So for years now, I've been supposed 25 years in tech, and now for the last 10 years, I've been really trying to figure out how do we unlock ideas from our organization? whether it's, um, you know, first book, just to kind of trace the lineage of, of my thinking, right? So first book was called The New How, and I was trying to solve this problem of the air sandwich, which is when the top tells the bottom what to do, and the bottom, who has a different relationship to understanding what's actually going on, is going to look at the top and be like, yeah, that makes no sense. And the air sandwich is that, you know, like a good PB&J sandwich, it's missing all the stuff that makes things work. It's discussions, debates, understandings, etc. right? And so that was the first thing. And then the second book was about how do you get ideas from anywhere? And so stop thinking of your organization as having this perimeter. Start thinking about who can help you create value, how do you join with them, and start solving some really interesting problems in a shared purpose kind of way. And then the third book, which is the one you've uh, met me through, is the power of onlyness. So the definition is each of us stands in a spot in the world only one stands in. And from that spot, distinctly one's own, our own history, experience, visions, hopes, uh, everything, right? Even things that are perfectly imperfect helps us offer something to the world and that set of ideas and perspective we bring. And so how do we now celebrate that? and figure out how to tap into the multitude of ideas we normally ignore. That's amazing. What, what's really what comes up for me there, Nilifer, as well, it's almost as if these books, um, that they, they seem to almost represent your own journey over the last years. Would that be a fair comment or would you? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the common thing is really, first I was thinking really corporate and then I was thinking how do you break the corporate structure? And the third one is almost saying independently of an organization, how do you add value? And then, of course, my next step has to be, so you're going to see the next uh, do -si dance thing, is to say, okay, so now that I've isolated down to the individual and specifically onlyness, how do you then go back and save those people who work inside organizations and aren't able to contribute their ideas? So I'm starting to think now about onlyness at work in a more purposeful way. 
Amazing. I want to come explore a bit more of the, the book Onlyness with you, um, Nilifer, but I just need to come back to something from your LinkedIn profile, which really makes me chuckle. Um, the bit that makes me chuckle is you once got sworn at by Steve Jobs himself. I have to ask you, when, what was that situation? <laughs> oh my gosh. So Steve had uh, come back to Apple. This was what, 1996? I'm dating myself a little. Uh, 96. And uh, at the time he had left, uh, the product line was vastly different than when he was back. And he was doing these essentially business reviews, right? Like come present so I can decide what stays and what doesn't. And the team I was part of was the server division. So we had come up with an Apple web server. Uh, it was the most profitable product at the entire company. And I had been responsible for designing the channel program, which had grown the business from 2 million to 180 million at a time when nothing else was growing through the channel. And, uh, and so my team uh, had decided I was the one who would then present uh, the business review. And, you know, sort of like, like the, the young, you know, like, I don't know what, what the thinking was, but sort of like, you're the person who's done it, so we're gonna put you in front. And I was probably, gosh, 26, 20, I was young. And uh, the first words, honest to God, so behind me is a slide that says something like channel manager, channel development manager, I can't remember what the exact title was, but something like that. And before I even say a word, in walks Jobs with his entourage of people, and back then he was wearing these like, 20 year old flip flops that apparently no one told him he needed to throw away flip flops once in a while. And then like a logo t-shirt and ratty ass jeans, long hair. And he comes and he puts his bare feet on the table and then looks at my title slide before I've had a chance to say a thing. And he says, and this is where we're about to come, fuck the channel. We don't need the fucking channel. And I'm like, pretty like blown away by this right so i look over my my team my boss who was like in his late 50s and i sort of looked at him like okay what are you doing now like this is the oddest thing i could ever have expected to happen and he just sort of looked back like sort of shrugging his shoulders you know emoji shrug and uh what do you do now and i just proceeded as if nothing had to like that conversation hadn't happened and i just proceeded to do the pitch and then I promptly went back to my desk after the pitch was over and wrote back to an email that had already been in my inbox that said, would you like to join this little startup called Go Live? And which was a company I had been bundling uh, with the web server uh, to sell it through the channel. And he goes, would you like to actually be, you know, head of sales and marketing at our little company and come join uh, as a as a executive? And I was like, <laughs> after this meeting, I wrote back and I said, yes, I would very much like to talk to you about joining your company. Because <laughs> I was thinking, I don't have much, you know, history for uh, as long as this guy's going to say, fuck the channel, and I've had a channel. So there, there's that story. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, on, on, we're, back, we're talking about onlyness, Nilifer. It sounds like that was certainly a unique moment uh, that only you could see. So. Right, right. And here's the really funny backstory to it is then like a month later, two months, some, some period of time goes by and I'm at a, at a big uh, Mac Expo type event. And I run into the guy who I had handed off my job to. And I was expecting it to be like a little bit of a pity party conversation, like, oh, oh, it's kind of sad, everything's winding down or something, you know, like I'm expecting it to be that. And uh, so I'm like, oh, how's it going? And, you know, ready for the other part of the conversation. He goes, oh, it's totally going great. We're executing against your plan. We're totally on target with every number you put in place, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at him like, this does not make any sense to me. And it finally did. So it took me years to understand this. 
that uh, quite often we end up signaling so hard to our organization how to protect the current business, but not hard enough about how do we build the future. And so what Jobs was effectively doing in that moment was, I'm gonna signal the future and then keep people in place to manage today. And I didn't understand that bifurcated uh, moment very well because you know, sort of youth and lack of experience. And now, of course, when I lead, I talk to leaders about you got to manage both. You just got to manage a hell of a lot more delicately than Jobs did um, because it causes your best people to leave if you signal the wrong thing. Mm. It's a really fascinating point for me because there's a lot of talk around you know, the generalizations of, you know, different generations, you know, talk about millennials, Gen Z, Gen Z, you know, Steve Jobs is obviously, if he's still alive today, would be, you know, was he baby, baby boomer or baby boomer plus, whatever. Yeah, he would be a boomer, yeah. yeah. Would, do, do, you, do you feel that the generational stereotypes do add value? Are they helpful when we're talking about leadership and trying to, you know, lead and motivate people, in your opinion? You know, it's great. There's a there's a sentence I want to quote Leah George, who's a PhD out of, uh, I want to say Creighton University. And she's an expert on workplace um, generational conflict. And she said, you've never met a generation. You've only met Gary or Nilifer uh, or Leah, you know, in her case. Uh, and I thought that was such a deep insight that when we're talking about people by grouping, we're missing the opportunity to notice what is that distinct person in front of us and what they care about, right? So you and I would use onlyness, and in fact, Leah George did onlyness. And when you recognize and see the person, uh, you'll look past the stereotype and actually see, oh, this this person's totally, you know, could be a boomer, but totally into technology. And this person could be a millennial, but really not into change or whatever it is, right? Whatever the, the stereotype is, and you can play against uh, type. So I'm a big believer in notice the individual and specifically the onlyness of each person because it helps us to cherish and value uh, what it is that person can bring to the table. Mm, that's, that resonates so, so much to me personally. And, you know, you, you've helped me wake up and I have to say thank you to that over the last sort of 15, 16 months around this area because I, I was one of those people that got taken along the waves of generalization. I think it's just because it's, you know, we've, we've sort of been a bit socialized, I feel, to, to be lazy in that thinking. And I love one of your quotes, um, which was, and it came actually from your InspireFest talk back in 2017, Nilifer, where he says, ideas could, can, and should come from anywhere. And I really, really love that. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Sure. So quite often what we're doing when we're listening for ideas is we're looking for who, and I, when I say we, I mean, I'm thinking sort of from an organizational work context, we're thinking about who should have that idea. So we'll think, oh, the product management team should be responsible for figuring out the next generation of the product or the, you know, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. Who should do it or who is most vocal about it? So who's sort of the loudest person at the table? And what I like to say is any one of us can shape anything. And I'll t uh, can I tell you another story? Do we have time? Please for do. Please do. <laughs> there, was a, there was a time I was working with a big um, tech company and they had found out that they had $2 million available. And the conversation, because I happened to be in the room, just was on, should we peanut butter spread it? Should we allocate it to a specific thing? And I suggested that we do an internal sort of hackathon and ask anyone and everyone inside the company to participate in the problem solving. And the executive team was a little nervous about it, like thinking, oh, that'll lead to chaos. And I said, well, if we design the process right, it won't. 
I said, but here's the deal. Let's ask people to form teams so that we don't hear the same idea 22 times. Uh, let's ask them to form teams. Let's make sure it's not tied to their functional area. So you don't have to, Gary, pick the people who you know, you're immediately uh, responsible to. You can pick any person across the team, any person across the organization and join up. And there was a market research person who was one of the more um, conservative looking, um, very researchy, right? Would show up in the meetings with six folders and, and talk data and stuff. It turns out in her, in her evening time, she was a big foodie, like insanely so, always trying to figure out how to cook like super healthy food that tastes really good. And she had been bugged by how the cafeteria was presenting food because it was presenting sort of the worst food for you first and the best food for you last. So by the time you got there, the plate was already full of, you know, things like brownies and, um, and rice and, or whatever it was instead of, you know, vegetables and snow peas or whatever. So, so she was like, no, we can actually redesign the entire kitchen flow. And so she and her team who were all non, uh, like they weren't tied to the cafeteria, they weren't tied to food delivery, had an idea coming from anyone, anywhere, and they went down to the cafeteria, prototyped what would it look like if we changed the workflow, and then that was one of the projects that got presented. I'll tell you the part that was ironic, or whatever the word is there, is that most of the projects were fundable uh, within existing operating expense. So basically the cafeteria team said, oh my God, that's a great idea, we should totally do that, and we can do it without mm -hmm. charging you back more money. And the entire company was activated around a set of ideas from health stuff, food stuff, and of course the more predictable things like product launches and regional expansion and so on. And the thing is, if they hadn't asked the question, then all of these people from anywhere within the organization couldn't have added their bit. That is so, so powerful. One of the things I'm speaking about uh, at the moment, which sort of layers on top of your, your, your onlyness messaging, Nilifer, is this, I find it perplexing that, you know, whether you look at Gallup engagement stats, you don't even need, you don't even need those. Just the, the pure fact that we're already paying salaries, if you're not, excluding the gig economy, we're already paying salaries to human beings within our organizations, but so often we're not creating the space for them to be heard or to be seen, yet we're already paying for them. I just find it an absolute travesty <laughs> at times. It's, what, it's measuring efficiency, right? Um, one of the things that, I pointed out to some leaders recently, I was in a opportunity to do a workshop with a team and I said, every one of your current metrics uh, that you currently use to manage talent, ma manages talent as an expense and as a cost. Mm. And yet they're your greatest asset. They're the people who are innovating. They're the ones who are building customer relationships. They're the ones who are servicing the product, right? If you just think about just every part of what's actually allowing you to create value nowadays in an ideas economy is coming from people. And yet what we measure right now is efficiency and we measure sort of the, the depreciation value of an asset, right? Like a computer or a table. And we're not able right now to measure the value creation capacity of only us. And that's really, if I imagine my own work 10, 20 years from now, some, I, I think that's the work. I feel like I'm going to participate in. And of course, if, if your listeners want to help participate in that, I'd love to hear more ideas around it too and, and see if we can maybe join up around it. No, that, that's lovely. I think one of the things I've been thinking about in this regard, um, you know, after reading your book and, and being connected to Nilifer, is actually around the opportunity cost 
of our human beings. So as I say, they're all, we're already paying salaries for them. They're already there of their own free will as a human being. How do we build the safe structures to allow people to ha- put their hand up and say, I could have done this had I felt safe, or how I could have improved X had you know, I had the trust of the senior leadership? You know, I think there's something around the opportunity cost here going on. Yeah, we don't show up until, you know, one of the things I, when I did this research around loneliness, I I started off, I don't know if you know this story, Gary, but I started off thinking it was one thing and then seven years later I had this one insight. So um, seven years ago when I started loneliness, I thought about it as how do you step into yourself? How do you be brave enough, show grit enough, sort of get over your own uh, debilitating fears? And I thought about it as you. And seven years and probably 10,000 pages plus of research later, what I understand is that we don't show up, not because we're stupid or not brave or not strong, but because if we have to pick between asserting our ideas into the world and creating value by those ideas or belonging to the people with whom we sit, we will pick belonging first, right? Because in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it goes food, shelter, stuff at the bottom, then belonging, who are we in community with, before we can get to the higher level of asserting our own point of view into the world. And so we're not like weak or fearful or, or la- you know, not strong because we're not able um, to show up in our onlyness. It's because we have yet to find our people. And so what I've been saying for a while now is that power is not simply personal, which is how we often describe it, like he or she. You know, Gary has power, Nilofer has power. We talk about it as he or she, and we isolate it down to the individual. Power is profoundly social. And so when you and I find each other and you say something and I say, hey, Gary, it could be this for you, it could be this for you, and you feel seen, then all of a sudden you're going to open up that blossom a little more, and then you're going to find it safe and then the blossom will open even more until we see that radiant, open, vulnerable person. But it's because you're willing to open up towards the light as long as someone's not casting a shadow on you. Oh, so beautiful. So, so, so powerful as well. A couple of sort of key words there, you know, of course, in the name of this podcast around vulnerability as well. Is... But I want to just touch on a couple of other points with you, which are linked to this. And one, one of them is actually from your book, In, in Onlyness. You speak about, and I love this comment, uh, about connecting different circles of people and not just more people to your common cause and not just commonalities. That's yeah. so, so powerful. And it's only something I've, and I think technology is enabling that ability. Do you feel, Nella, or were people doing that before anyway, before the tech? I think it's hard to find your people. I think it's uh, challenging. And if you think about, I remember Dana Boyd, who was one of the early pioneers in the internet days. And she's given a bunch of talks about this that are probably now 10 years old. But she talked about being in a remote area. And before, if you were um, a member of the LGBTQ, is it QIA? I want to use the right reference. Um, If you were a member of that community, 10, 20 years ago, you often felt incredibly lonely because you couldn't find other people, especially if you were in a small town, a lot of people were hiding. And she pointed out that the internet really gave you a chance to find your people and realize that uh, sexual orientation is a completely normal thing. There is no such thing as 
uh, normal is not heterosexual, right? Normal is all the flavors of uh, sexuality. And, um, and so I think she was one of the first people who really talked about what it was to find your people. And then I think there's another deeper level, which is who are your people based on what you care about? And you can be, I mean, like I, I've been a part of feminist groups, for example, and I realize that we don't understand feminism in the same way because um, they're willing for white feminism to win out over all feminism. And I'm like, oh, then these are not my people, right? And so it's almost like degrees, Gary, of finding your people. You get, you, the more you have a specific thing that you wanna go work on, the more you can go from, I care about people who care about value creation through vulnerability, to, okay, who's actually working on it, which companies are just talking about it versus those that are doing it, and then the next group, which is who are the change agents who are creating the models behind it, right? So the, the, as you go deeper into it, you will narrow, um, that search and now you can find those people um, so that but I think it's also about being technology is simply the enabler that's my point mm -hmm. and the specificity with which we are clear about what we care about is what allows us to signal and seek as I wrote in chapter four of the book signal and seek so clearly that we can find the other people with whom this work is more resonant and therefore we can join together to go do something with it all that's lovely. And a phrase, and I'm sure you won't mind me stealing it. I love your phrase from the book as well, co-dentors or co-denting. Yeah. And I, th I think it's just such a powerful, powerful statement and something I, you know, I use every day, if I'm honest with you. Have you, in terms of you finding your co-dentors since you wrote the book, Homeliness, how are you finding that for you as, as a journey, just out of interest? Yeah, so I think, uh, I think there's sort of two or three phases. One is... When the book first came out, I noticed that a lot of people that I would have expected to support it didn't. And that made me um, wonder if I had done something wrong, um, just, you know, like if I hadn't written it well, just a series of combinations. And it was a, um, it was a mind fuck for lack of a better way of saying it. It was just like this, like, what the hell is wrong? Mm. And, uh, and now it's been two years. I think we're coming on this fall will be two years. Um, I've actually been like, oh, well, what did I get clear about myself? And I think the big piece I got really clear about is that I'm actually trying to shake up the framework completely. And a lot of people can't see that, right? So uh, I think the data says that 62% of people accept the status quo as a status quo. In fact, they accept it as truth. I think that's the data. Um, because they can't imagine the world any other way. Mm. And I've been like, oh, well then those are not my people, right? Because they're not even going to want to change up the framework. And so it's gotten me clear about uh, <laughs> what did I expect, first of all, <laughs> and second of all, to, um, to really kind of see more clearly uh, who are my people. So like Perry, you know, you and I just started this conversation before we started recording. Perry Timms is someone who is trying to shake up the framework but also trying to live within it. So he lives in the one foot in both camps. And so he sees the work I'm trying to do, but he's also super anchored in uh, today's work. And so I find him just fascinating because I think he's gonna help me maybe bridge my language and my uh, challenging framework back to existing 
organizations. And so it's just, I think it's a learning process. The, the thing, I, Gary, the, and the lesson I hope I'm sharing by this sort of wandering uh, thing is I think figuring out who you're signaling to and what you're seeking is sometimes its own process of discovery within yourself. So even though I spent all these years writing the book and I thought I was really clear, it, my own perspective on my own body of work continues to grow. That's lovely. And I have to say, since we first spoke uh, April of 2018, you know, I've, it, it can be an, it can be a daily, it can be a, a momentary thing as these things shift, though, can't it? Which is what I found. It's, it's so emergent. Yeah, it was really funny. I'm starting to think about uh, what else I still need to write. And a, f- a friend of mine uh, who reads the blog, he had sent me something I'd written and said, this, this is a New York Times op-ed piece, this, this over here. And the headline is this, and she named it. And, uh, and I was really amused because I said, you know, I hear you, and yet I don't know what it would look like. I, I, I can't picture how to write a New York Times piece on it. And I can see that she's signaling pretty hard to me who I am. And I can see that I'm struggling with it. And I think that's an entirely normal, emergent process when you're trying to discover your onlyness. And I think that's the part. Uh, and you and I had this conversation. We were talking about your onlyness. Uh, I think sometimes it takes people next to us to be able to see ourselves more clearly because like a diamond can't self-describe its own facets right uh we need other people and then sometimes it takes us a minute to go what is it again you're saying to me and then it'll come to us right so uh it's a it's a it's just uh it's never it's never done that's the one thing about this only this thing is we're constantly evolving and growing and understanding ourselves differently and that's where compassion has to show up that's, that's lovely and I'm, I'm really sensing this and you know I, I feel I'm experiencing, experiencing this personally is that you know get other people involved in your onlyness yeah it's, only, it's, it's, the, it's your view that only you can see but to have that mirror held up as you did for me last year was just so so helpful. Yeah and you know Gary I've been doing uh, onlyness consultations now for people I just started it like I don't know it's been like two months or something and I have learned so much from trying to help people see themselves and see what it is that they want to most do in the world and why they're the ones to do it and stuff. And it's been such a joy to do it. But I'll tell you, one of the insights I have after each one is there's a reason why. I mean, a perfectly beautiful reason why we can't see ourselves. And sometimes it's that we're scared. Sometimes it's that we've spent 38 years or whatever trying to fit in, whatever it is. And and it's only in self-compassion, and being in community of people who will let us be safe, that we can even reveal. Uh, and so it's been such a joy to watch that process of uh, vulnerability, sort of coming back to your central theme, vulnerability being so key to learning and growth and uh, living into one's onlyness. Lovely. And as, as we start to wrap up, Nilifer, if I'd ask you a bit of a, a, a left field question, who, who or what is inspiring you the most right now and it could be anything i'm just really intrigued to know what's going on for you in terms of inspiration personally currently you know it's people who are living it right so uh i'm i'm always that was what was such a joy about writing the power of onlyness which was finding the stories of people who were using distributed networks living out of their onlyness and creating change so uh franklin leonard which is one of the stories of the book uh who wrote um or i should say who started a organization called the blacklist uh, the other day I read something uh, just completely out of the blue, a like completely different channel and talking about one guy who Franklin had talked to and encouraged. And that guy has now become a huge ally towards women 
And I'm fascinated by the ways in which those of us who are living into our onlyness end up enabling other people to live in their onlyness. There's this sort of cascading effect. And, uh, and so I'm fascinated by everyone who is truly living it as you are. And I, I know you and I have stayed in touch through uh, little voice, voice sharing, um, you know, these little messages we send each other and stuff. But it's, uh, it's when we're living it that I think we give energy to ourselves and then to one another. And then we inspire that next circle of people to live into their ownness. I'm in awe of that. That's, lo- that's so, so lovely. And there's just one, one quote I'd like to do before you, sh- you let no- people know, our listeners, how to, how to find you. Um, you spoke previously about through meaningful connections, ideas can now scale in distributed networks. And I think you've just summarized that beautifully with that example. Yeah, and I think it's really, it takes so much courage for people to step into themselves. Uh, so I hope that I'm encouraging people to do that. And then as they find their language and their approach that they can share it going forward. Because I think that's how we're going to create this this new world order. I don't think it's going to be some top-down model. And it's not going to be because any one of us is uh, doing it by ourselves. It's when we're going to join together. And so there's this sort of meta thing that happens with onlyness. Of course, I'm trying to encourage each of us to stand and celebrate that spot in which only one stands because it's from that spot going to get that perspective or take or idea that we so desperately need but it's also that in doing so we show one another what it is to live into our own truth well what a beautiful way to finish Nilitha you've been a joy as always how can people find you if they're they're not already already following you I I live on the internet and so twitter is my first name Nilifer n-i-l-o-f-e-r I tend to use that for work-related kind of content, things I'm thinking about with onlyness in the work context. I personally, uh, my Instagram is as much personal as it is professional. It's my journey. Uh, so again, at Nilifer, N-I-L-O-F-E-R. And then I have a blog and a newsletter, which I know you subscribe to, Gary, and that's on my website, nilifermerchant.com. You're a star. Well, look, please keep up your super inspiring work and uh, very grateful to know you, Nilifer, and thanks for your time today. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi there, just Gary Turner wrapping up this sensational podcast with Nilla for Merchant. As always, always learn so much from her, but just want to share some of my, my major takeaways from this conversation. Nilitha speaks about that she's trying to shake up the framework completely. Also citing that the data says 62% of people accept the status quo as the status quo. In fact, they accept it as truth because they cannot imagine the world any other way. This reminds me of so many people that I come across some of those game changers, if you think about the GC index, you know, Nilifer is very much a game changer strategist for me and a bit of implementer as well. Uh, but how many people, how many of you listening are stuck in believing that the current status quo is truth and isn't something that you can look to disrupt or change in any way? I think it's such a, such a powerful message. It is something I've butted up against within my own organization in the past, but it's something that we're working through. I think it's really interesting as well hearing her talk about you never meet a generation. You've only ever met Gary or Nilifer or Leia, referencing um, Leia George, who uh, referenced Oliness in her recent TEDx talk. I really like the fact that Nilifer is challenging the stereotypes. Um, Getting back to her message around Oliness, 
you know, generalizational stereotypes or what, they're just, they're, they're thought creative, they're socialized constructs. And I also enjoyed the talking about when we're talking about people by grouping, we're missing the opportunity to notice what is that distinct person in front of us and what they care about. So there's quite a lot of talk around job crafting, there's quite a lot of talk about individualization and personalization of work. And I found in my own experience, of, as I've looked to craft my own role within my, my work, I have my main corporate job, where I'm in international sales, but I'm also crafting into more of this people role, into this more human-centered design focus. You know, we all have these other gifts that we all want to bring to the world, but maybe we're afraid or we're hiding in that status quo system that we believe can't change. And of course, we have to create that um, alternative view of the world and step into that. Otherwise, we'll, we'll remain stuck where we are. I also enjoyed Nilfa talking about that for so, so often our organizations are measuring efficiency. Every one of your current metrics that you currently use to manage talent manages talent as an expense and not as, and as a cost yet they're your greatest asset. This reminded me of a, a blog I put out a few months ago called Investment, because I fully agree, agree with this men mentality. We're still stuck in the efficiency, bums on seats, human beings as a product, in a, in a cogs in a wheel, um, rather than being seen as the, with the unique gifts that they have and how exponential that growth could be for humanity if we could just unleash those, those, those innate, the innate brilliance of all of these different people that are already working for us. And that are salaries that we're already paying this is the fascinating thing for me. And it's just so great to, 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 to hear Nilla for talking so passionately about that. And I think the last thing I just want to share with you as well is that figuring out who you are signaling to and who you're seeking is sometimes in its, its own process of discovery within yourself. And I'm really sort of still working on that myself personally is, you know, who am I actually trying to attract? Who am I trying to connect with? And who am I trying to amplify my own personal purpose and meaning with? And how can I support others with that same journey? So my message to you is if you're somebody that really believes in human-centered design, intentionally helping unleash the brilliance of individuals, teams, and leaders, creating the environments where it's safe for people to bring their whole selves, to challenge the status quo, and to really be curious in a safe environment, then I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to support you in any way I can. I'd love just to have conversations with you and just share ideas and knowledge and connect you to other people that may, that may be on a similar journey to yourself. So please do leave a, po a podcast review, if you will, at the iTunes podcast app. Again, this podcast is Value Through Vulnerability. And I thank Nilifer Merchant so much. I thank Perry Tim so much and all of you so much for listening in today. And uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Hi, Gary. This is Mike Baldwin here, Mikey3982 on Twitter. Really enjoyed your podcast there, um, and I too am a great fan of Nilifer, and I really like this spectrum that you've got of belonging, but also of a aspect of having a, a strong voice. One of the aspects I did think as well, maybe that can be triangulated in terms of that voice, with the value, as you say, that can be brought. So, um, and more about the value, the shared value. So it almost comes back to this sort of what's in it for me or what's in it for other stakeholders in terms of uh, speaking up. Really, as I say, really enjoy your podcast. I hope that's a, a useful insight as well. Cheers. Bye. Really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. You can find out much more about HexoChange at hexochangenow.com. That's H-E-X-O-Change-Now, one word, dot com. 
you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website, which includes information about live stream conversations, further service offerings, blogs, but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.